0: Welcome back to another episode of Married India, podcast where we're going to navigate the highs, the lows, and the complexities of a bicultural family life. I'm your host, Amy Rigetti. And if you're returning to the show, I want to thank you for your incredible support, especially during our last heart-wrenching episode. And for those of you who are joining us for the first time, I extend a heartfelt, warm welcome into our community. Before we dive into today's topic, I'd like to take a moment to recap our last episode, the story where we shared one of our intense heartaches at the moment and complete challenges as parents, as we discussed the horrifying experience of our daughter being groomed by a married man with two kids close to her own age, an individual more than three decades or senior. He took her away from us under the cover of darkness, causing an unbearable amount of pain, and uncertainty in our tight-knit bicultural family. We're fighting this storm with the strength of all of our moral compass and shared values, leaning hard into the love and integrity that binds us together. This is not just our personal tragedy. This serves as a cautionary tale for any family cross-cultural otherwise, highlighting the critical importance of communication, trust, and vigilance. Many may ask, certainly Indians, who, have been brought up not to share openly with their own personal family struggles, such as things like this. But we are sharing because things like this in a culture so strong in its belief system, value structures, family structure, and the fact that a country of individuals could be no more unified in the core belief that your children are the sum of who you are. It's who and what you have taught shown and preached into them from their existence in this world. That's what people judge you on. It's so crazy as an American being brought up one way to think that your entire life as a person can be simply judged by the way your children behave. Many parents and our youth have taken their lives in similar situations due to the shame and shunning that comes from such a situation in such a culture. We're here to stand up and be the voice in families that feel that they are suffering quietly, alone in these situations, to let them know that none of us are exempt from the trials and tribulations that life throws at us. And even we know in our hearts that we've done everything right. We're here for you. We hear you. We want you to reach out. Talk to us. We're here. Whether you want us to listen, whether you want us to share our own personal grief, our own personal understanding, what we feel has worked for us. We're here for you. We'll continue to update you as we proceed through this journey, this difficult time for us, that we're definitely day by day learning to navigate. The outpouring of support has been so overwhelming and deeply comforting. And for that, we personally thank all of you. In spite of the challenges we face as a family, we know that this world is not gonna stop because of our broken hearts. We still believe that diving into the cultural depths that define our existence can be enlightening and unifying. Today, we're going to take you on a journey to the fascinating world of Indian superstitions with an episode titled, The Lemon, the Chilies, and the Cross-Cultural Knot, Understanding the Superstitions of India. This episode is going to explore the intricate web of Indian superstitions, where faith meets tradition and sometimes a bit of mysticism. One thing that Srinu and I have kind of started since shortly after we became a couple was we always said that we're going to respect our families traditions. But one thing that we were not going to allow ourselves to play into were the superstitions. And a lot of people often hear superstitions and they're like, they're just silly things that people just think are going to have a cause and effect to them. But Srinu and I, the minute that we hear these superstitions, you can't help but have them kind of ingrained in your mind and they kind of do affect your everyday living and life. But as a couple, we jointly decided, and this may not be for everybody, but we jointly decided we wouldn't necessarily adhere to any of the superstitions, but they have played a pretty big part in our family life as far as everybody's not involved in our day-to-day lives. So when we go to India, there are certain things, you know, that old adage to um, when in Rome, that certainly plays part when you decide that you are going to marry cross-culturals. So I really want to be able to dive a little bit into that. For those non-Indians, I think this is interesting. Like I get a lot of people who talk to me and they're like, Amy, it's so interesting. And then they just want to know more. I could get at a table with a group of people. And before you know it, we're having like a round table discussion on uh, pros and cons and unique situations. And they're just like almost in awe of how we've overcome that or how we have decided to approach it. So I hope that within this podcast, you guys are going to be inspired more than uninspired and that you'll have stories to share. And most of all, we turned that ignorance into knowing. So I'm excited for all of you guys to come along on this journey. And I absolutely. Can't believe that I'm already here close to episode 30. So I hope that you guys just feel like this is getting better and better. And better as it goes along. So, whether you're navigating the concept of the evil eye or pondering upon sweeping the house after sunset could be problematic, this episode is going to be your guide. So, these practices often intersect with religion and culture in ways that are both enlightening but confounding, particularly if you're in a relationship that straddles two very different worlds. If you have ever been handed a, a lemon and chilies to hang on your front door and wondered what the heck that means or if you're not an Indian trying to make sense of the myriad of rituals and beliefs that come with being part of an Indian family whether your kids are cross culturally marrying you're know, just trying to figure out where do we fit into this this episode is going to offer some clarity so guys go ahead and pour yourselves a warm cup of chai nestle into your favorite seat and let's untangle the complex fabric of Indian superstitions shall we In today's episode, we're going to peel back the layers on a topic that's as fascinating as it is puzzling superstitions in India. Now, you might be wondering, why should I care about superstitions? Well, if you're in a cross cultural relationship, especially with somebody from India, understanding these traditions and beliefs is not just enlightening, but it's going to be crucial. They often intertwine with religion and cultural practices, creating a complex web that impacts everything from your daily routine to major life events. Ignorance is not bliss here and it could lead to a lot of misunderstandings or even conflicts in your relationship. I know that for Srinu and I, we often um, have my mother-in-law here during certain times of the year for almost 20 plus years. My mother-in-law has usually been here from March till September. And there are a lot of Hindu um, Hindu things that take place September through March. We don't usually practice those or we do practice them, but they're in our own little way. We've kind of put our spin on them. But lately, my mother-in-law has been with us because my father-in-law has left us. And more than ever, I'm waking up and I'm I'm asking Serena, I'm like, do you smell that? And he's like, smell what? I'm like, your mom's making sweets. And he's like, okay. I was like, are you that clueless? Like she's your mother? Um, but if I wake up and my mother in law is making sweets, you can smell them through the whole house, and I know for a fact that that is a sign. Today is an auspicious religious day, and that I probably shouldn't leave my bedroom without quickly jumping in the shower, or else you kind to of come out and you get this look like, "Hello." You know, there's certain expectations. I will admit that have to be met because we have been married for over two decades. But I can tell you, if I knew this very early on in our relationship, my mother-in-law and I probably would have grown closer faster. So I'm hoping to be able to shed some light on this stuff, whether your family practices or not. Um, This doesn't... Let me just quickly disclose that everything that I talk about is not going to be specific to every Indian, American, Indian, any other couple. Because each family from each region is going to have very specific things, as well as each family is going to have specific traditional things in their family. It doesn't, I mean, even in the U.S., some of us have been raised one way, thinking one thing. You know, it's like the old saying of like, step on a crack, break your mother's back. Like, some of us skipped to school and we didn't step on cracks and others were like, Oh, nobody cares about that. So this same thing applies, but we need to understand that the minute that we decide to cross-culturally marry, there's some importance not just to ourselves. We have an obligation as a husband, as a wife, as a partner, to be respectful. Because that's what you do. That's what society does. We can't just walk around with a I don't care attitude. That causes turmoil in relationships. So let's get into it and uncover the meaning, myths, and methods to navigate these superstitions. In Indian society, religion, culture, and superstition are distinct threads that often intertwine. And let's first separate these concepts to better understand the roles in daily life and the special occasions. Religion is a system of beliefs, right? So um, it's often worship centered around a deity or a higher power. For for instance, in Hinduism, religious practices may include daily rituals like pujas and annual festivals like Diwali and Holi. And these practices often come from holy texts. Um, they have spiritual significance to some extent, whatever that might be. And while religion can be the foundation of certain beliefs and rituals, it's crucial to remember that religious practices may vary widely, even within the same religious group. The fact of fasting, for instance, has a religious basis in multiple Indian religions like Hinduism, Islam, Jainism. However, the way it's practiced is its frequency, its significance can differ depending on the individual's religious and personal upbringing. Culture is the shared attitude, right, of values and practices that characterize a certain group. In India, the traditional practice of arranged marriage is more of a cultural norm than it is a religious requirement. I think that some people who are ignorant to it really do believe that, you know, people in India, they just have arranged marriages. I can't tell you how many people have approached me and they're like, yeah, in India, don't they just have arranged marriages? No, that's not like a broad thing in India. It is definitely um, just a cultural norm than a religious requirement. And most people don't even know that India is not just a Hindu country. So it's, it's very interesting when I get into contact with people who have no understanding of knowledge of any other culture other than their own So um, it's definitely something that I feel we can shed light on in this situation. So similarly, the concept of jagad, or innovative problem-solving, we'll call it, is also a cultural trait and not a religious or superstitious one. Cultural practices are shaped by collective experience, like history and societal norms. They often dictate how we interact with one another, celebrate milestones even, or how we eat, for example. The Indian culture of a Devo Bhava, which translates to the guest of being like the equivalent to God, is seen in the, like, that is seen as being hospitality shown to guests. But this is a cultural aspect, not religious or superstition. And superstition, to separate from the other two, are beliefs that may lack rational basis, but are deeply ingrained in society. A common Indian superstition is the Nazar which is the evil eye, where it's believed that envious glances can bring you bad luck. So like, for example, whereas we would, in the American culture, love it if somebody was like, oh my gosh, she's so cute, like, how adorbs, that little girl, oh my gosh, look at her eyes. If you said that to a more traditional Indian, they would like start spitting and they would start, you know, they'd start doing like you know, or they'd be like, oh, don't say that. Like it's so offensive because they believe that you have brought on that Nazar. So that's something that it's just good to know because you may get a free pass on that. But for somebody who also is just as ignorant of our culture, you might not. It just leaves a bad taste in their mouth for you. So you want to be aware of these certain situations so that you don't, Find yourself wondering, what did I do? I didn't do anything. Why did she not like me? Um, because that's just the way the world works. We're all passed under some kind of judgment. But another example is the idea that sweeping the house after sunset is inauspicious. Superstitions often manifest in everyday activities and can be highly specific. For example, weddings. I love weddings. I feel like we photograph our weddings the way we do because I'm so curious. I want to know everything. I never want to be in a situation where it's like, oh man, I didn't know that. Or I look like I didn't care. And I used to ask during pujas at weddings, we have some of our Indian clients who will put their right hand above their head while they are receiving a tikka from the pundit. And I always wondered like, why do we do this? So I went straight to the source and I asked the pundit himself, why do Indians, some and not all, take their right hand and put it on top of their heads when they lean in to receive a tikka from you? And he says, Amy... I've actually researched this quite a bit, and it actually came from back in the day, very long ago, there was a puja that took place in a small village, and somebody just happened to put their hand on their head for whatever reason, and others started copying him. So there's no specific reason why that has been written or found so far that explains why some Indians put their right hand over their head and take the tikka. I found that interesting, because it's almost like monkey see monkey do, if you will, in a very respectful form. So for instance, some people in India consider it bad luck to pass food to someone over a threshold. And these superstitions may have no religious text whatsoever to support them, but can be strongly adhered to. I mean, you can literally, like people will get loud and, you know, it's, it's just sometimes you're like, man, that's a lot. But this is what they've grown to believe for generations. So you might be asking yourself, why is this relevant for cross-cultural couples? Well, imagine planning a wedding where your Indian partner insists on specific wedding date because it's auspicious. Is this religious? Cultural? Is it superstitious? The lines can blur and understanding these are crucial for harmony and shared decision making. It's it's simply put. The cross-cultural couples it's essential to distinguish between these layers. Your partner may wish to continue certain rituals without necessarily subscribing to the religious or superstitious belief behind it. This is Serino. This is what we deal with. And it's just part of his cultural identity that he cherishes, but he in no way feels that way from a religious or superstitious perspective. And for me, that was one of the really tough things because I was like, why are we doing? It's like, Amy, this is it's just what we do. You know, I remember my father in law used to say to me, I would ask him questions. And that's when I, you know, I still would ask him questions, but I learned very quickly. He doesn't have all the answers because I would ask him and I would be like, you know, father, why do we do this? And he says, Amy, sometimes we just don't ask questions. We just do it. I was like, okay. You know, he's my father in law. He's an elder. I respect him. The whole world works like that, or it used to. And so I just went with it. And then from there on, when we used to attend the weddings and I, get, I would get to know the pundits, the first thing I would be like is, pundit jeep, why do we do this? And he would tell me. And I just felt something inside of myself that I went to firsthand information and I got the answers. So I wasn't ignorant anymore. And I really feel like sometimes that can be a truly enlightening experience for you just to know. You might also encounter situations where your partner's family has strong beliefs in these superstitions. We deal with this a lot. I all the time will get new things from my brother-in-law to where I've known my brother-in-law before he got married. I kind of felt like I had a good idea of like the person that he was, but it's funny how after he got married, his wife has a lot of these things that she believes in from her own family stuff and I'll like catch him doing something and I'll be like, why? Why? He doesn't get his haircut on certain days. I'm like, so why aren't you getting your haircut? And then he'll tell me because, you know, Bavani, you shouldn't get your hair cut. And then that became what was her belief became his belief. And he just does it. I don't even know that it's so much his belief as he just doesn't want to tempt the fate. <laughs> you know, so some people it's just that easy. You don't have to believe into it. But sometimes when it gets put into your head, you just don't want to tempt the fate right one thing for sure is that if you guys understand the origin of this stuff that people say if you just like search it a little bit more it'll help you both navigate you know with a little bit of sensitivity and respect so that you can maybe make compromises where they're needed By, you know, dissecting these little elements, we not only appreciate the rich complexity of the Indian society, but we can also find ways to respect and integrate these things, these aspects, into our cross-cultural relationships. This understanding can serve as a guide to navigating, like, the most complex situations and sometimes most bewildering, you know, in the world of Indian religion, culture, and superstition. Because quickly those lines can become blurred. I mean, it's not uncommon to see all three of them blend very seamlessly in everyday practices, making it hard for even natives to pinpoint where one ends and the other begins. Take, for example, like I said, the evil eye or the nazar. for example. While this concept is prevalent across various cultures and religions globally, in India... You'll find chilies and lemons, you know, they're called uh, tatkas, which is a charm, hanging in these shops, cars, and even homes to ward it off. If you've ever been in, you know, a rickshaw or an auto rickshaw, you see this stuff everywhere. Um, These things, you often wonder, is that cultural, religious, superstitious? The big thing that people are kind of, stigmatism that people have is it's a religious thing. The answer could be all three, depending on whom you ask. And there comes the tricky part misconceptions and stereotypes. One common stereotype for me, and I hear this from a lot of people, even Muslims that are not Indian, you know, is that Indians are all vegetarians due to religious beliefs, which isn't accurate. While it's true that Hinduism often promotes vegetarianism, not all Hindus retain from eating meat. And don't forget, India is home to a of religions, many of which don't advocate for vegetarian lifestyle. Even Hindu kings in India, enjoyed the thrill of hunt and non-veg cuisine. So let's not be ignorant here, folks. It's just something that we've just, we've seen it, we've thought it, and then it's kind of like what we think is. Another misconception that certain practices are backward or uneducated, often labeling them under the umbrella term of superstition. While it's true that some superstitions can be detrimental, it's essential to understand that many of these practices have evolved for specific social or psychological reasons and, you know, may carry a different weight for individuals practicing them. I won't name anything specific, but we've all heard news in India where, you know, families like a whole entire family, aunts, uncles, cousins, brothers have hung themselves you know in the idea that they believed in some type of superstition that blurred the lines with religion the overlap of religion culture and superstition can become a minefield for cross-cultural couples it's, it's as easy as that i mean i have felt you know um one story that i often share is and i half jokingly say this when Srinu and i got together Srinu was very particular about any of the friends that would friend me because they knew I was his partner. And, you know, it's almost like I didn't have to have permission, but Srinu appreciated me asking him, hey, who's this? Because whatever interaction Srinu had with him throughout his life made it to where he felt comfortable with me adding him as a friend or not, because my Facebook page is not open to everybody. So one of the things that I try to do is I try to remember to definitely be sensitive to that with Serenu because it's very easy for me just to let anybody and everybody come in and be my friend. But, you know, these types of things are just super important as a couple that you learn these triggers and you kind of just always be open and respectful um, to one another. So one of the examples that I tell people is when Serenu and I had started getting together, he would when I would add certain friends to my Facebook, like wives of husbands who um, I didn't necessarily know, but they wanted to friend with me. Um, Some of them, some of the wives would post to Facebook and they would mention that it was like Ganesha's birthday or like Diwali was coming up or what their plans were. And it gave me a heads up. And so in the mornings before I get up, um, Earlier on in our marriage, the first thing I would do is look at Facebook, especially when my in-laws were staying with me, because I knew that if I didn't necessarily know that today was this day, it almost felt like to them I didn't care. It wasn't that I didn't care. It just wasn't something that I was used to in my personal life. Like, for example, one of the stories that I share with everybody is that earlier on in our marriage, I actually had a couple of Serenu's friends, wives, um, Facebook friend me. And so I had learned through them what holidays or auspicious days would be going on based on just opening Facebook up that day. So if my in-laws specifically were with me at the time, I would open it up so that I would know because one time I had come downstairs and I came into the kitchen and my mother-in-law was waiting there and she was asking me, so what do you want for dinner tonight? And I was like, oh, we'll just have chicken curry. And she didn't make any mention of anything. She was like, "Mm." and you know, nothing it was nothing unexpected. It was just a normal day. So come dinner time, nothing was cooked. And Srinu was like, what's for dinner? I was like, oh, your mom asked me this morning. And I said, let's have chicken curry. And so Srinu had gone outside because his mom was doing some stuff outside. And he was like, mom, what's for, what are we doing for dinner? And she was like, your wife wanted chicken curry. And he was like, okay. And she looked at him and, you know, she basically told him they were having their conversation in their language. She basically told him that today's Ganesha's birthday, no chicken. And I was just like, when Srinu came back in and told me that, I was like, she couldn't just tell me that it was Ganesha's birthday so that I could, we could come up with another plan. it was at that point in our relationship that she kind of felt I should have known better because we'd been married long enough. And in my mind, I'm thinking that she's thinking that this is my religion and I should follow it. But that was a totally arrogant misconception of mine. Right. It wasn't about that. It was about the fact that she, in her own mind, wanted to know that they mattered enough, that her son mattered enough to me, that things that he used to necessarily respect and adhered to mattered. You know, it took a long time for me to get over that, to get an understanding of that. But I understand that now. And I can tell you, our lives are so much calmer because of it. So ladies, if you're out there and you're new to this, you know, definitely find yourself a good couple of traditional um, Hindu friends that post and they share and, you know, Welcome that experience because knowledge is always good and you don't want to come downstairs in the morning and want chicken curry for dinner when that's not the day to have chicken curry. So just kind of keep that in mind as you guys are like on this journey together. So whether it's deciding if you should enter a new house with the right foot first are navigating through more complex religious ceremonies being aware and respectful of your partner's religion culture and superstitions can go a long way in building a harmonious marriage between not only your partner but the entire family i think that that's just a good i like to give that story because that's that's how i try to tell people that was my experience and this had nothing to do with Srinu and i it was just about the family. Just keep those things in mind. If you always keep those things in mind, who knows, maybe your relationship, your marriage, your situation will be a breeze. It'll be a walk in the park and you won't have to share any of those difficulties. But I can guarantee if you're in a cross-cultural situation, there's going to be lots of stories to tell. So open up that journal and make some entries because who knows when you could have the most valuable information to share. So let's get back on to some of these superstitions and their origins. Like I said, knowledge is just... Uh, bliss. So, I want to take that ignorance out of it and fill you guys with everything that you know I feel I've benefited from. And that evil eye, you know, melodically known as Nazar. Um, I want to talk about a lot of families, especially South Indians. I've learned through the years, um, I'm not, I don't want to take anything away from North Indians, but South Indians are just more, they're sticklers for everything they tr- like. The ceremonies go to three to five hours, wedding ceremonies. Where's my North Indians? You know, if the parents push enough, they'll get an hour and a half. But if the kids push enough, they'll get 45 minutes. So this is just something that I want to make sure that, you know, we're knowledgeable on, even if it doesn't apply to, you know, your spouse, partners you know, um, part of their family. But if you've ever seen like a black dot on a newborn baby's cheek or forehead, I mean, it's like big and you're like, what the heck is that? You know, that is to ward off the evil eye. This concept dates back like thousands of years and has roots in ancient civilizations, not just India, like Egypt, Greece. But in India, it's, it's a total cultural mashup. You'll see across regions and communities uh, with this. So the next time you see a lemon or seven green chilies, like hanging outside of a shop, just know that it's a swanky little all natural NASA repellent. Now, how about the ever so popular don't sweep the house after sunset? Strange. No, this one stems from like a practical origin in the days before electricity sweeping after sunset increased the chances of sweeping away valuable items. But now it's considered bad luck, almost like you're sweeping away prosperity. And moving into like one of the funner ones is the itchy palms. I know this just isn't India specific, but if your right palm itches, you're about to receive money. And if it's the left, well, you're going to lose some. And not a lot of people talk about the left. They're only talking about the right. It's like one's stock market of superstitions and no one knows its origin. Maybe it was started by someone who is like really good at guessing. Okay. Then there's the no cutting nails after sunset. This was also something that I was like, really? Historically, this was practical advice turned superstition. Cutting nails in dim light obviously could lead to injuries. So especially in the days before manicure sets were a thing, and now it's thought to bring bad luck. Now let's talk about animals, specifically crows. In India, a crow calling near you by your house anywhere like that is considered a sign of impending visit from a relative. Quite an efficient pre-Facebook event notification system, don't you think? And why are these superstitions so fun to know? Because they give a glimpse into the beautiful complexity of Indian society. Plus, for cross-cultural couples, it's like decoding an exciting puzzle together. So whether you choose to follow these superstitions or laugh them off over a cup of chai, they're a part of a bigger picture that makes Indian culture so unique in itself. And here's where things cross-cultural can cause complications. Picture this. Sarah, who grew up in Chicago, is Mary Amit, a Delhi native. Sarah's pregnant, and she wants to have this baby shower because it's a common Western rit- ritual that we do. I wouldn't even call it a ritual, but it's just common in Western cultures to celebrate the impending arrival of a new baby. Now, here, usually we won't tell people that we're pregnant till after a certain time when society is deemed this safe, And usually we also will not have a baby shower before a certain period of time. We all hear about the horror stories of those who have loved and lost, and they're stuck with all this stuff. And this is where this really comes in, because Amit and his family are against the idea. And in their view, celebrating life before it's actually happened could invite the evil eye slash Nazar. And Sarah is just left bewildered because she's so upset, questioning the logic behind this belief. And then... On top of that, she takes that back to her mom or her dad. And, you know, now they're talking about what whack job she's married. This is just the normalcy of your new life. And in this situation, this is when your spouse is expecting for you to defend his family. We don't have to agree with any of it, but we should try to be respectful. Try to find some, you know, common ground even. How about we consider the scenario that Mark, who's, let's just call him British. He moves into a new house with his Indian wife and let's just call her Priya common enough. And Mark places his shoes inside the house only to see Priya grab them and move them back out. According to her, shoes inside this home bring negative energy. That's the belief. Negative energy is being brought in by those shoes. Shoes are dirty. We just, you know, if you've ever gone to a temple, you go into the temple. The first thing you do is you go into like a little washroom and you wash your feet, you wash your hands, whatever, you know, whoever wants to do what but most importantly you're taking your shoes off you're putting them in a cubby you're washing your feet before you even go into the the actual center of the temple that's just their beliefs and then here we go looking at mark and he just absolutely finds this belief absurd and feels his personal space has just been invaded and who could forget the common cause between what happens around diwali and new year's eve astrologically picking an auspicious time to perform a puja or even just to start a new task, let's say Jane. She's an American. She finds it utterly ridiculous that her husband, Ravi, would consult an astrologer to decide what time they should buy their new car. Ravi, on the other hand, can't imagine making such a big purchase without you know, these celestial bodies aligning in his favor. I don't know how many people have watched, you know, 90 Day Fiance. Here, I'm going to give them props. (laughs) Um, Srinu and I don't watch a lot of TV, but being in the cultural realm that I am in and the fact that I find how people navigate their relationships super interesting, we do watch this. Some of it's, you know, giggles for us because we just laugh because been there, done that. Or some of it, we're just like looking like, are you really like people do this? This is crazy. Or we're just like, okay, we know some of this is just for the TV to get reviews and ratings and all that stuff. But let's look at Jenny and Smith for one couple. You know, she finds all this stuff to be ridiculous. It would go a long way for her to try to adapt a little bit more and understand these things. But in the end, when I look at Jenny and Smith, I'm thinking to myself, there's bigger problems than just learning to adapt to these things because Jenny doesn't understand the cultural aspects of the things that she's disrupted. So these are just super important things that you guys need to understand. This has nothing to do with like whether they actually truly believe in them, but they've been raised with this belief. Whether they believe in it or not, you wouldn't want to upset any energy on purpose. So you see superstitions can lead to unspoken tensions, questions, and sometimes even resentment in a relationship. It's not just about the beliefs themselves, but also about the cultural integrity that they carry. And what might seem irrational and baseless to like no one could mean the world of tradition, comfort, and faith to the other. The key here is to have open discussions and perhaps even find a middle ground that respects both viewpoints. After all, part of the beauty of the cultural relationships is the blending of two worlds into one shared experience. You know, we just did a wedding yesterday with a couple. He's Indian, she's American. She's from Georgia, and most of us aware of the American culture. Georgia's very South, you know, so deep-rooted in in culture, very Southern tradition. Hospitality goes a long way, but they are not very diverse out there. That's just been my experience. And now here she married this Indian man from this big Gujarati family, and, you know, there's a lot of getting to know, so her family is just— some of them I'm looking around and they're in awe. And some of them are just lost and they're completely confused and they're not understanding it. I don't, I don't even know that our families in general are ever even, even gonna be open to understanding that. But for us, we shouldn't push that on them. I can't tell people enough. Like you nobody should ever push their race, religion, or culture on somebody else, right? And so you don't have to push it. But you can certainly help explain it so that maybe they'll be a little bit more compassionate and empathetic when they're dealing with things once you guys start having, you know, whether it's you're still getting married or whether you're going to have a baby or whether, you know, those little milestones, you want everybody to be able to be excited and happy um, together. And that's, that's just really important so that you guys can learn what it is that works and what it is that doesn't. So if you're navigating these superstition-induced bumps, I'll call them, on your journey of love, take heart. With a little bit of empathy, a dash of humor, and a sprinkle of patience, you can turn all these cultural divides into actual bridges. So here we go. How can I help you guys navigate what could feel like a minefield? Navigating the crazy world of superstitions and cultural beliefs can be so tricky, especially in a cross-cultural relationship. But don't worry, I've got you covered. And here's some actionable tips that I'm hoping will help you guys out. They've helped me. So whether you use them or not, again, I'm just going to give these a few shout-outs to the ones I find have been the most used for Srinu and I, especially because we had no one to help or guide our hand throughout the process. Back when we had first met, um one instance that happened. Srinu is a complete oblivious person when it comes to certain circumstances. But we were walking through the mall and we happened to walk in one of the exits, ironically, that was like women's lingerie. Uh, I remember it was JCPenney. So we're walking through and when you come in, down the aisle they have these rounds like clearance racks of items. And as we were walking in on one side, an Indian family you could see completely South Indian, super traditional. We're walking out, pushing a stroller with Av Obviously their young born child and they had their grandparents visiting from India and the grandmother just could not get enough so much so that as Srinu and I were walking past she was walking out she walked right into this rack she fell and I could feel like the stare of her just staring at us because it was like she had seen something that like a dinosaur. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I had asked Reno, I was like, Did you see that? And he's like, see what? And I was like, that lady like walked into the rack because she like couldn't get enough of looking at us because she just couldn't believe her eyes. You know, and those are some of the some of the stories that we have to share. So we didn't have a lot of help with people telling us how we could navigate this. So here's a couple suggestions that I have. Everybody should really consider keeping open communication. The first and foremost step to keep the lines of communication open. One don't assume or make judgments about each other's beliefs. Take the time to actually ask questions and understand the reasons and even share your own perspectives. There were a lot of things that I thought Srinu did because, you know, he believed in it and then come to find out he's like, I don't even know why I'm doing this. I don't even believe in any of this. I just do it to make my parents happy. Fair enough. Like, I call that a win. If my husband loves and respects me a fraction of what he does for his own mother, I'm winning every day. Another thing is not to be confrontational. It's easy to get defensive when when your beliefs are questioned right. But just try to approach the discussion as a learning opportunity for both sides rather than a debate that needs a winner. We don't need to win these conversations. Part of winning is understanding them so that both of you win. There are no losers educate and don't patronize while sharing your beliefs avoid it sounding like a lecture use maybe storytelling or personal experiences to make your point find a situation that you were in where you felt the same way maybe that didn't involve the cultures and takes that element out and just puts you into perspective of being a person likewise be open to listening to your partner's explanations about demeaning their perspective one thing that we all could stand to um do in a world where things are kind of insane right now is just to find a middle ground. Sometimes compromise is necessary. For example, if one believes in not cutting nails after sunset and the other finds this inconvenient, convenient, perhaps designate specific times when it's okay to do it or do it not in their presence. Many couples on um, type A, I would probably notice, but many couples aren't even going to notice. Cut your nails, buff them out and move on. Another thing to suggest is flexibility over rigidity. Understand that beliefs can evolve over time. And what's important is to remain flexible and open to adaptation. And the next thing I can highly suggest, and is partly probably the reason why you're here, is just do your homework. Sometimes understanding the historical or cultural content behind a superstition can make it more palatable. Take the time to research or even ask elders in the family about why certain beliefs exist. I can promise you that if you are genuinely in love with somebody and you care so much about them, you'll learn that sometimes you'll even put these things before yourself. Another thing to mention is their success in numbers. Find people going through your situations whether it's in a group or whether you, you know, for example, we have a Facebook group that is um, married to India, Facebook group, that there are other couples who have maybe gone through this. And if you find yourself struggling, go to the Facebook group. Everybody is so warm and welcoming. We have such a diversity in where people are in their stages of their relationship that go in there and open questions um, up to people. You could get invaluable answers. So never hesitate to discuss sensitive topics that become too heated or complex and consider consulting like maybe a cultural mediator, even a relationship counselor who is familiar with both cultures. I personally feel that that's a struggle, especially now that we've you know put kids into this, this mix. It's been very hard for me to find you know, actual professionals who are going to assist us in the process. One thing my mother in law would often commonly say is like, in America, what are these therapists and counselors and like psychiatrists and stuff like that? I'd have to explain that to her. And she would say, in India, we don't really have that type of thing. We have cousins and aunts and uncles. And, you know, she's like, you could tell your cousins anything. And, you know, they die before they shared that information. She's like, so we just confided in family. We didn't confide in like professional people we had to pay. I used to chuckle about that because interestingly enough, it's the truth. And next, choose your battles. Not all beliefs will have the same level of importance, guys. Just decide what you're going to let go of and what you need to stand firm on. And if it's something you're super adamant about, it's probably worth a conversation. Mutual respect is a big thing. I I am not a like a profoundly curse word kind of person. So I don't I'm not saying that I'm void of it. Um, certainly Srinu is is the um, holy one in that. He's not really anyone who uses words. Like we'll get into a little debate about, you know, ass being a word. He's he's like, that isn't a cuss word. Um, because in India it's not. But for me, that I consider that a cuss word. I don't know. Maybe it's changing with the times. But at the end of the day, the objective is to respect each other's cultural identities and beliefs, even if you don't fully agree with them. Celebrate the differences. Instead of seeing these as cultural or superstitious divides, as like problems, just view them as a unique aspect that makes your relationship that much more special. It's an opportunity to create your own set of shared beliefs and traditions once you get down to the deep part of it. The idea is not to dilute or give up your individual beliefs, but to create a shared culture that honors both. And hey, who knows, you might even find a new superstition or tradition that you both actually Enjoy following. So for all you lovebirds out there listening, remember these differences are what make your relationship unique and exciting. Embrace them, talk through them, and find your path together, guys. So I hope that you're enjoying this podcast. And here's where I get down to a little nitty gritty stuff because people just curiosity kills the cat. Hopefully it does no harm here. But you can find us on multiple platforms. If you want to watch me specifically as a person what I'm doing personally, you can find me on Instagram at Amy Rigetti. If you want to follow our wedding work or see how we're capturing these moments through our lens, you can check us out on Instagram at The Rigettis. And then my Facebook is a closed um, private thing as I share a lot of that stuff with family and friends. If it's something that you're curious about and your intention as well, drop me a little message. Um, Just share a little bit about yourself, your story, And I'll certainly give it a look and hopefully invite you in there as well. So on that note, guys, I'm going to throw it out there. Please subscribe, like, share, and follow me everywhere.